now that you've sat, I'm going to ask you to stand again. <laughs> we're going to read. Um, we're going to read our text this morning from First John. Our sins there are many. His mercy is more. That is kind of a summation of so much of what we believe to be true and why it is that we come together to be able to be honest about who we are, where we are, and then to hear another story that says, yes, though you acknowledge the reality of this, um, there's something so much greater for us, which is why we need to constantly hear this narrative, this story of what we call the gospel. So we're going to read together the first part of 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. What's on the screen, we'll read together, and then I'll finish up, and then I will end with, this is the word of the Lord, and if you're comfortable, you can respond with, thanks be to God, as a reminder that this is God speaking into our lives this morning. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard at the same time It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, Because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Lord, as we listen to these words, we need for your spirit to cause them to do what they were intended to do. We need for you to, to press these into not just our mind, but our very being, our souls, our, our hearts, our spirits, and to, to capture us, to, to reform us, to reorient us, to reshape us, to point us to Jesus, who is the one that we desperately need, whose mercy is more. We, we need more mercy. <laughs> We desperately need more mercy, and we need for you to be the mercy giver. So wherever we may be in life, as we continue in worship, we ask that you would speak, that you would move, that you would provoke, that you would challenge, that you would encourage, and that you would give us rest out of which we can go forth 
and love as you've loved us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, we started uh, second sermon last week on First John, and we kind of laid out the big idea that we're going to be looking at for the next few week, which is weeks, which is this: we walk in light as we fellowship with God, who is light. This is our big idea, and we saw that very explicitly from that first part of uh, chapter one in First John. And so we asked the question, what does it look like to walk in light? So if, we're to, if we are to walk in light by being in relationship with the one who is light, what does that actually look like? And we said it looks like freedom from darkness. Looked at that last week. This week we're going to look at this. It looks like the fleeing of darkness from the text that we were just examining. The freeing of darkness. So what does freeing from darkness look like? Well, we're gonna go over three aspects as it outlines, as it goes, as we go through this text. It looks like love and remembering and it looks like dissatisfaction. Okay, we're gonna look at each of these in turn. So the first thing is love. For, first, and we're gonna come back to the first couple of verses that we read, but we're gonna jump into first verse nine. What is this commandment that he's talking about? Because he's talking about a commandment. What is the commandment? Well, he says, whatever or whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, he's still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the command that he's giving to us that he talked about previously and he's filling out in this section is love your brother. The love for brother is about... I mean, it has specific implications for the community of Jesus. But above that, even, the love of brother is about a love for other. It's loving others and another. This is a critical indicator that we're in the light and that darkness is fleeing. Love of others. If you hate your brother, you're in darkness, he says. You wholly are going to be in darkness, or maybe there's some part of you that is still hiding in darkness when we have a non-love for the brother. As, as we watch people, or as you look at yourself, the more and the longer we hate, think about any kind of hate or dislike or however you want to phrase some form of hate, the more we do this, the more it seems to dominate us, the more it seems to consume us, the more it creeps into us in areas of our life, the more it takes over our life, what happens? What happens in our life? Darkness. Our lives become more and more dark when this becomes the reality of our existence, this dislike, this disinterest that moves us towards hate so very often. So I wanna I want back up, so it's so about love, that's the command, so we're gonna back back up to those first couple of verses. The command is love, what is he talking about when he says, this is not a new commandment, and then he says, but it's a new commandment. I mean, what does this mean? So John's kind of summarizing this in a similar way that Jesus did. And we see in other parts of Scripture, specifically with Jesus' ministry, there was one time a lawyer came and asked Jesus, or somebody came and asked Jesus, hey, what's the, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And then the second is very similar to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
right? So, so John is saying, yeah, this is the summation of it. So how is this, how is this new and not new? What's going on here? Well, it's always been the way. Love has always been the way. Think about even the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? We could look at lots of the commandments, but just look at the first ten, the Ten Commandments. You have the first four that are talking about our orientation towards God, like our relationship with him, love for him. And then the last six, do you, we ought to do a test and see who remembers what, what they are. Don't, I've got it written down, so I, I have. So, so the last six deal with honor your mom and your dad. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. What are these things? This is about loving your neighbor, isn't it? Fundamentally, it's all about loving your, your neighbor. So that's what the commands are. So what is new then? That's how it's always been. It's not love your neighbor is nothing new to what God has always been saying. What's new? How is this new? I would say it's new in kind of a couple of ways. In Jesus, the depth and the nature of this love is exposed and fulfilled. So in him as a person, and then also how he talks about it. Think about, so there's a section in the Gospel of Matthew, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Starts with the Beatitudes. Uh, And in this section, he says things like, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yeah, right, exactly. That's the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. This is new. Um, it's fuller. Jesus is going to the depth of what the, what the law was always trying to tell us. And he's exposing to us this deeper, deeper reality. What that old commandment of love really was is also new in this way. It's new every day. I think it's new every moment of life. It's, it's never stale. Love is never stale. It's dynamic and has fresh expressions in every situation that we face. It's new every morning. It's actually a new commandment every morning because tomorrow, whoever I'm going to interact with or whatever situation I'm going to face, I currently don't know what that is and there's going to be a new opportunity for a new expression to love in that place and that person and in that time. I think it's new in that sense. Does that that work? Possibly? Okay. Darkness flees in the face of love. Darkness cannot stand in the face of love. Now, it tries to attack. Darkness tries to keep encroaching, but it can't stand. It is, John says, passing away. Hate and darkness have been defeated by the one who is light. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit more as as we go on. So, what is the response to being blinded by darkness? So, we we hear that, but then we realize, but I've got this hate that grows in me, or I, or I have a hate that's coming against me, or I have this darkness. How are we supposed to deal with this? Or, and how are we supposed to cultivate love and light that actually combats darkness? I'll let it pass. <laughs> I'll let the siren pass. How, how do we combat that? So, so what is it that we're to do? Well, he goes on and he says, walking in light also looks like remembering something. 
And I'm, I'm going to call it remembering security. This is verses 12 through 14. John la- launches into this poem and he talks to children and to fathers and to young, young people, young men, reminding them why he's writing. He's saying, I'm, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, and he's going to flesh that out. He's already referred to all of us back in the beginning of this chapter, and he'll do it again later. He's already referred to all of us as children. So I think these categories, they're, they're speaking to all of us. I mean, I think there are certain times in life where we maybe fit into one of, the, of being a child or an older person or a younger person, right? We kind of fit into those categories. But I think we all can fit into all of those categories depending on what might be going on in life. I don't think we ever, ever, ever get away from needing the reminder that we're children, which is why he keeps bringing up the idea of children. So with that, these categories are addressing, I think, a similar base need that we have in every stage of life. And I would categorize that base need as security. So let's look at this. Children, he begins with this. Children, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then he, so he does children, fathers, young people twice throughout this poem. He just reiterates this thing and adds a little bit. Then in verse 13, he says, children, listen, I'm writing this because you know the Father. John says, I'm writing to remind you of your baseline security. You're a child, okay? I want to show you, I don't want to remind you what your baseline security is. Your security is, you know the Father, and this is who the Father is. He is one who forgives, He's, he's, he's your father, and this is what a good father does. He forgives. This knowing him is not just knowing correct information about him. It's about knowing him as a personal parent. Why is that so important, especially when we face darkness? When darkness is coming upon us, why is this an important thing? Well, it's a reminder to us that we know one who knows us. We're being known. It's not just a generic forgiving of sin. He knows you and the particularities of your sin. And he forgives you particularly as a father. And this has cosmic and corporate ramifications, all right? It's not just individual, right? This isn't, this isn't just about me, it's not just about you, but it is specifically for you, right? It's not all about you. It's not all about me, but it is specifically for you and for me. This is a personal acceptance and a belonging to the Father. This is the basis for security as children in the light that causes darkness to flee. When you have this kind of security, darkness cannot overcome you. It can't when you have belonging Then he says uh, the same thing twice in verses 13 and 14. He says, I write to you fathers, dealing with the fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. All right, why is this important? Like, why write this? The father to whom we belong is playing the long game. This has been an important one for me as I've been processing this over the last uh, couple of weeks. He's He's not talking as some naive optimist. Oh, man, everything's going to be okay. Darkness is going to go away. He, he says darkness is passing, but not as this uh, naive optimist. He has a very large picture 
in mind when he speaks these things. And when John is speaking on the Father's behalf, remember, fathers, he says, that the one who is your father has always been and is eternally consistent. He's working out his long plan. Fathers, I want you to remember, you have a father who's working out a long plan. No matter how old you are, how long you have been doing this life, living in the light, no matter how long you've been fighting the darkness, The Father has been doing it longer than you have. (laughs) That's a helpful reminder. He was from the beginning and before the beginning. This Father is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does that sound familiar? This is the beginning of the book. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. It's the first thing that he spoke into existence. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning, the first day. Why remind fathers? Why remind mothers? Those who have been living for a while, let's just put it that way. Why remind them of this? Because as we continue in life, it can get wearisome. You can get tired if you live very long. As we suffer hardship, and sometimes we wonder why things are so slow to change. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? Remembering God has been doing this a lot longer than us from the beginning, to me, is a comforting thing. He's still at it. And he will continue long after I take my last breath. He is working good. He is shining light, even if we can't fully see it in our moment. And he's doing it as he has been doing from the beginning, separating light and darkness. And he will finish what he began. As we relate to him, we can rest in the fact that the darkness is only temporary. It's passing away. That's what he says. He who was from the beginning, was before our beginning, was at our beginning, is bringing us to a new beginning. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. John says, it's here. The light that we stand in will one day overcome and it will outdo all darkness. It's the light wins. The light wins. The fathers, the mothers, those who have been walking for a while and maybe are weary, we get to remember and rest in him who is from the beginning. And he's going to carry us as children. Like you may be a father, but you're really still a child. He's going to carry us to the end, to the dawn of a new day where there is no more night, there is no more darkness. That day is promised. He's guaranteeing it. Take comfort, fathers, he says. So then, verses 13 and 14, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young, young men, young people, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. With these two kind of bookends, you got children, right? And you didn't have fathers. He then narrows it back into, he comes to young people. He's reminding the young that in your working years, 
in your, in your passionate years, when you want to change the world, right? You want to change the world. This is a beautiful thing. We've already overcome the evil one. You're, you're working. You're passionate. And he says, you've already overcome the evil one. All the strength that we need comes as, he says, the word of God abides in you. What, what is that? Our victory, our, our overcoming and strength is not because we are such strong warriors. We're young and we're vibrant. It's not because of that. It's because the strong warrior abides in you. The, the word abides in you. He, he holds you. He has overcome the evil one. His victory and strength is ours by association, not ours because we have accomplished it. Young, young people, take courage. You are strong, not because you're actually strong, but because the strong one abides in you and you have his victory by association. He writes this because we need this reminder while we are in the battles, because we're in battles. He is our strength. The Lord is your strength. Take courage, he says. What does this mean when we feel like we have to fight the darkness and that the darkness often feels like it's overtaking us? This is a reminder. In the heat of the battle, relax. Take a deep breath. Find your rest. In the heat of the battle, relax. The darkness has already been defeated. I know this is, this is hard to embrace when we see the darkness encroaching, but what if it's true? What if it's already been defeated? He says it's been defeated. We need this reminder in the midst of all of this. The light, the goodness, the love has actually overcome the dark, the destruction, and the hate. The light's already won. And sure, I know, I know, I know, I know. In one sense, the battle continues, right? There's a sense in which that's true. But that perspective of the battling continuing must be taken captive by the reality that the battle has already been won by another. Okay? It's this walking paradox. Yes, we go into battle, but we go into battle with this reminder that the battle has already been won by another. This is the security for the young and the restless. If you're young and you're restless, we need to hear this. So as we remember these things and live in this security as the anchor of our soul, okay, we're going to sing that at the end, the anchor of our soul, that in that song it says, through every storm, our God will stand unshakable. This is the security he wants to give to you. He is unshakable. He is absolutely unshakable. That is your security. The darkness flees in light of that, and it will fade away. And from there, he goes into, what do you think of all that? Man, this is where I just want to have conversation. This is why we need our townships, right? Let's digest this together. What do you, how do you receive this? Are you resisting this because you feel the darkness coming upon you? I don't know. Think about it. Process it. And consider, what if this is true? What if the darkness has actually been defeated? What if that is true? How does that affect how we're going to live? And then he goes on in this third section, this dissatisfaction. So in verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, he says. The world is not always a bad term in the Bible, right? The world can't, God, for God so loved the world. We have that, right? But right here, it stands, you got to always take things in context. Right here, it stands in contrast to the Father. The world it stands in contrast to the Father, 
So if the world is overtaking you and dominating you, then the love of the Father is not overtaking you. It's kind of going back to Jesus' thing of you can't serve two masters. You got to love the one and hate the other. So it's a similar kind of an idea here. If we are enjoying the love of God, that, what, what are going to be the implications in life? If you're actually enjoying the love of God, what are the implications? We grow to be disenchanted, dissatisfied with the world. If the love of God is actually captivating you, you actually grow to be disenchanted and dissatisfied. I don't know that you can choose, and again, this is one for conversation. I don't know that you can choose to be dissatisfied by the world. I don't know that that's even a choice that we can make. I think something else has to break in that we find more satisfying. Okay, there's an old sermon by a guy named Thomas Chalmers which has the greatest title for a sermon ever. And it probably will make no sense. And it's called, the title of the sermon is, I don't know if he came up with the title or somebody else did. The title of the sermon is, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Oh my gosh, I love that sermon title. That's so good. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. That's exactly what we're talking about. We need an expulsive power, something so much greater that will displace our old affections which is what happens when the love of God comes in. It's like dissatisfying. So what is the world then? We got to deal with that. Well, he describes it this way. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are not from the Father. They are from the world, whatever the world is. And the world is passing away along with its desires. It's, It's dying off. So what is this? Well, the world is something that leads us to feeding the flesh, uh, filling the flesh, elevating the flesh. All right, good. Now, what, what the heck is the flesh? Um, it doesn't seem to be like just the physical reality. It doesn't seem to be that at all. It seems to be gratification and filling and elevating of self. That seems to be what the world is, what the flesh is. Do not love the world seems to be, at least in part, about focus on self or trying to find satisfaction and security in self. John says that world and that way of living, that is passing away. It can't last It's a phantom life. It's not really living. It's a shrinking existence. It's the walking dead. That way of life will not last. This life of self is the dying heartbeat of darkness. The heartbeat of darkness is self, and it's a dying heartbeat. Think of how the supreme love of self and the self-elevation is the cause of so much hate and destruction and harm in our world, not to mention my life. Think about it. Think of how many fights you get into because you're trying to preserve self. Think of how much darkness that you bring into the presence of someone else because you're worried about yourself, right? Here's the catch-22. I don't know what you're thinking about that. Like, maybe you agreed, maybe you disagree. Self-focus just kind of destroys community, and it kind of destroys the world world around us. Okay, but here's the catch-22. You cannot survive without being loved. 
right? Don't you have to therefore love yourself? Like, you, got, you, can, you can try to pretend like you don't need to be loved, but you are living a lie. You have to be loved. So, don't you have to love yourself? All right, this is the critical piece of living in the light. So, we're gonna un, un, we need to back up for a little bit and, and ask, what is, what is the opposite of loving the world? What's the opposite of loving self? Well, you may say loving the Father, Right? I mean, that kind of fits a little bit in the context. And I would say, kind of. I'm not sure that's the starting place. Because what, what does John say in verse 15? He says, you can look at it if you have your Bible. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He doesn't say the love for the Father is not in him. He says the love of the Father is not him, in him. The contrast to loving the world, to loving the self, is having the love of the Father in you. The contrast to loving the self is being loved by the Father. That's the contrast. Why is that so important? Well, this, this whole thing is not about refusing love for yourself. I'm just, I'm just going to be a martyr. I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to ignore my desperate need that I have to be loved. Okay, what happens if you try to live that kind of a life? It, one, it's just not honest. It's not healthy. And I would say it's not living in the light. As a matter of fact, it's the dark life, which seems so often to make for a very bitter, cynical, self-righteous existence if you try to live that life. I'm going to just hate myself. I'm going to be a martyr. Eh, I don't like being around people that want to be martyrs. <laughs> Right? Real martyrs, yes, those are beautiful people. People that think that they are being martyrs. That's, a, that's an interesting place to be. This life is not, this, 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 light, this life in light is not about refusing love for yourself, but being loved by someone greater than yourself. What do you think? Do y'all know the old Whitney Houston song? Now I'm going to really date myself. Um, uh, the greatest love of all. Do y'all know this song? I love the fact that this is such a young crowd. <laughs> I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Do you know this song? Okay, all right. She, right, Whitney Houston, nobody can, nobody, there you go. Nobody can sing like Whitney Houston, okay? Beautiful, absolutely beautiful voice, right? Teach them well, let them lead the way, show them all the beauty that, I won't keep singing it for you. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. She goes on, she says, everybody's searching for a hero. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfills my needs a lonely place to be, and so I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, look, at least I live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. 
You know, the song is like powerful. It's like motivating. And it's empty. It won't satisfy. It, won't, it doesn't, I don't think it satisfied her. I don't think it satisfies us. As we realize self-love and self-hate, they're just not satisfying. We grow not to be self, self-loathing, but simply disenchanted with self. God wants, don't hate yourself. Just be disenchanted with yourself. It's, it loses its tastes, taste after a while. Not because you hate your life, but because you've been loved by a greater life. This explodes our life with greater meaning and significance because we are able to boast in an infinitely greater love than a love of self. Darkness flees in this light. Anxiety that you experience, the need for success, the need for approval, the need for self-gratification, all of these things, the darkness of pride and insecurity, they all fade in this light. And with the background of this, then we can look at and we can talk about losing our life. Not losing our life to nothingness. Like, it's not just killing yourself. It's losing it because we found something greater or more accurately have been found by someone greater. By losing our life to him, we gain what the world could never give us what we could never gain for ourselves. There's an old missionary, I think he died in the 50s, uh, Jim Elliott, y'all familiar with Jim Elliott? So he has this old quote that says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's true. And how do we ground this belief in something more than just this heartwarming idea? Like, Okay, that sounds really good to be loved by someone so great. Who says this? Is this just a myth? I mean, is, is there any truth to this? On what basis do you ground this idea? Why trust or even consider believing that such a love exists, that this God, this Father, loves like this and is going to give us a greater, more lasting life than we can gain for ourselves? What, what reason do you have for believing this? Because we're invited to lose our life, not to some generic God. We're invited to lose our life specifically to Jesus. The one who came in the flesh. Why? Because he loved not just his friends, he loved his enemies. He came not to take but to give. Not to oppress and enslave but to free. Not to kill but to bring wholeness. That's what he did in his life. And this isn't just metaphorically speaking, it's actual, it's physical. His way of love and freedom and health comes to us by him walking into darkness where we live. He didn't stand on the outside and beckon us out. He jumped into the deep end of darkness. And to, he, he did so to come after us where he faced our hate, freely gave up his freedom and laid down his life. That's what he did. And out of that, that's utter, utter hopeless darkness. Darkness. It's absolutely, all the darkness of the world was enveloped into him and there is no more hope. The man is dead. There is no hope for love winning. Except he didn't stay dead. 
And the light blew the lid off of the tomb, and he came forth with life, undoing death, flooding the world with love, offering the world real security from the Father, feeding the world his very life for eternal life. To all who find the world of self dissatisfying and disappointing, he says, come to the light. Or maybe more accurately, look up. See the light has come to you. Isaiah, an old prophet, said, the people who walked in darkness have seen, seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. As we live in this light, darkness flees. If we live in this light, keep coming back, keep living in this light, darkness flees, and it will one day be completely eradicated. So, Father, as we live in a world that we can clearly recognize there is deep darkness around us and in our own hearts, our own lives, and the lives of people that are around us, we need to hear this message that light has come and the darkness is passing away. And we need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. We need for you to press into our own lives the life of Jesus that is the only pure, true confidence that this story is true. You have been raised out of death into life, out of the darkness to bring forth light. And that is the eternal state of the world that you've created. And all who find their life in you will share in that. And right now, we get to participate. We get to bask in your light and then be ambassadors of your light. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that as we sit here, those of us who may be in the darkness, that your light would shine upon us, that you draw us to yourself. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.